Hello, my name is Anthony Arnold. I'm your co-host for this special podcast. Joining me are Francine Dash, host of We the Voters, and Joshua Hyde, host of Recap This Week. On this special podcast, we look back at September 11th, 2001. Every year around this same time, we hear the familiar command to never forget. It's a simple command, one meant to deliberately echo the instruction to remember an event such as the Holocaust. The instruction to never forget may be well-intentioned, but it also carries with it a terrible price. Choosing to never remember, to never recall in the first place is monstrous, but never forgetting? That seems no less problematic. Hello, I'm Francine Dash. Humans are given a number of conflicting pieces of advice when it comes to the management of our memories, and remembering 9-11 is no exception. We should remember and honor the past, they say. But we don't say this about all parts of our history, as we've learned recently with the protests in schools regarding teaching an accurate account of racial history to our children. So why do we say that when it comes to 9-11? We say that because we don't want to forget the pain and how it changed us. We don't want to forget the heroics and the moments that bound us all together as Americans. And most of all, we don't want to forget the lives lost or the loved ones they left behind. But we're also advised to look to the future, to learn from our past. What exactly have we learned from 20 years ago? And how has it made us better people? I'm Josh Hyde. 9-11 was a direct hit to our collective consciousness. It told us a new story about ourselves and our place in the world. The once impenetrable USA is actually vulnerable. And it told us that not everyone wanted to be like us. Some people wanted to destroy us or don't like what we represent to them. Today, we're going to talk about what 9-11 was, but also what it has become and how it continues to impact us, even in the modern day. But before we go there, for the sake of those who were either too young or not alive at the time, let's share what it was like for us during 9-11. Where were you when 9-11 happened? What was going on in your life and how did it directly impact you? I'll go ahead and start. I remember when hearing about it, I was in school. Um, we had just started our day and for those of you who aren't aware, I was very young at the time. Um, I think I was in like maybe third or fourth grade. And when you're that young, you're kind of with the same teacher for the majority of your day. And we kind of started, we did some math that morning. And then out of nowhere, we were told to check the news. And like everything stopped, everything completely stopped. And all of our, you know, all of our little kids and all the adults that were in the room, there were two of them at the time, um, were just kind of staring at the news screen, just like, watching what was going on and we as children had no real like understanding of anything we just knew that some kind of tragedy was unfolding before us like i've seen movies like i i know what some tragedies look like at the time but like i never believed that anything like that was real it felt like i was watching a movie like i <laughs> i didn't believe anything like that could actually be happening in my own life and in the the actual nation that i live in and it was really like directly after we watched the events and then we had a really long discussion about it that I started to like actually grab an understanding 
of what was going on. But I think that's also where kind of the problem started, at least as far as I was able to know, which was that while the response to 9-11 was supposed to be unifying, I saw the seeds of discontent and separation being sown right then and there because we happen to have and maybe, maybe i'm going a little a little farther here uh we happen to have like a, a multicultural student named osama in our class and as i'm pretty sure you guys can guess um wow. osama kind of got dunked on for years after that eventually yeah. he ended up moving out of the the whole school um after a couple months of I assume being bullied. I only got to solve parts of it, but it showed me uh, almost directly what I said earlier, like that we, cause I mean, you, you spend a lot of time being a person in this country, hearing about how great this country is and especially how like, it's going to be so hard for people to attack us. And we're, we're so protected against international threats mm -hmm. and for one to hit us so deeply in such a important space and impact that many people, it was just jarring. It, it was, it, it felt like the curtain was kind of being pulled back. Um, and the, the, the veil of, I'm gonna call it nonsense, was, was starting to be pulled away because we learned that America isn't exactly as great as we've been made to believe. So I, I was in school at the time too. I'm a little bit uh, older than Josh. So I was a junior in high school. And I think I was in science class because uh, I kind of like, I kind of remember sitting at, you know, like the big sort of uh, science tables. And so I remember that's where I was when I heard about it. And like you, you know, I remember everyone watching it on TV, um, you know, someone would roll in one of those old TVs you always use in school that you hooked up your antennas to so that those would be rolled in. And there was sort of a, uh, sort of a fog, kind of like a haze. And it's, you know, something I've thought about a lot is this was before, you know, where we are today, where there would have been a million Twitter notifications. You would have gotten notifications from five different apps on your phone, you know, uh, text messages from everybody in the world. You know, we would have known within minutes sort of a broad idea of like what was going on. And when this happened, there's just a lot of confusion for a while. There was a sort of a, what is this? Is this really a terrorist attack? And then there was, a, you know, the second plane and then there was like this thing happened and they were trying to get to the Pentagon. And uh, so I remember the confusion and the shock, but you know, it, it almost sent me on a completely different trajectory. I, as I've said before, my dad is a, a military vet. And uh, in many ways, uh, my dad has always been kind of my hero. You know, I, I, my dad is, I think he's just a wonderful man. And whenever you sort of have that relationship and it's a veteran, you know, there's always a thing in the back of your head, which is, should I join? It's just like always persistently there. And this event, you know, 9-11 came very, very close to pushing me towards yes for that answer. Like, you know, I remember in the, in the weeks afterwards, you know, I, I very much considered doing it. Um, where probably not for the fact that I knew my mom would probably have tried to, you know, kill me if I had tried. <laughs> That's probably the only thing that prevented it. Uh, baby son, she, you know, would not have taken kindly to that. But you know, I was wrapped up in the sort of patriotic fury, you know, the patriotic, you know, go get them attitude. I was as wrapped up as that as anybody. And that was knowing all the flaws and knowing all the things that I didn't think were, were great. But still, 
that was the attitude of the time. You know, it was infectious for a lot of us, I think. You know, I know looking back today, so much of that patriotism that that burst forth, it can almost seem like it was a, like it was a show, like it was put on. But in a lot of ways, it wasn't. We were coming off a 2000 election that was crazy divisive, as people remember. Like, if it happened today, the country would, it would be unimaginable what it would be like had that election gone down today. So the election was incredibly divisive. The country had spent a good amount of time, like, fighting for months and months and months. And there were people who still, like, before 9-11 were like, this guy's not legitimate president. We don't think he won. And this just buried all of that. You know, 9-11 buried all of that. And the patriotism and the unity, the attempts to do them were real for a lot of us because it really was shocking and it was jarring and it was tragic. And I will never, like, as much as I say, as never forgetting can be problematic, but I really never will forget watching a person jump out of a building in high school, watching a person on TV choose to uh, commit suicide because they have no, no way forward. Like you said, Josh, it's like something you see and you're like, this only happens in movies. This can't be real. Real people don't do this, and certainly kids would never be allowed to watch this. And yet, here we were, watching people jump out of buildings on live TV. And yeah, I mean, that 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 sticks with you. So I was actually on my way to my office, and um, I saw a snippet of it on the news. But the way that it was first announced is, oh, it made it sound like some touristy plane hit a building, made me think of an incident many, many years ago where a plane hit the Empire State Building. And it wasn't this, it was something altogether different. So I didn't really, I, I guess there's a part of me that kind of brushed it off, but I was still curious. So I had the radio on and we were all listening. And like you both were saying, we, we really didn't know, the first day we really didn't know what we were dealing with. And it was really confusing. So I got to my office and I had a, 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 a television, a small television in there. So I turned it, decided to turn it on. I rarely turned it on, but I turned it on and I start watching. And so by this time, I turn it on and another plane is about to hit the other building. And that was the part point where I realized this was not an accident, but I still didn't know what it was. And uh, I didn't really understand what I was seeing. It was all live TV. I saw what I thought was debris falling from buildings. It turns out it was people. Some of them were burning and my heart just sank. I just, I couldn't believe it. And then the Pentagon was hit. And then there was talk that there were planes heading toward DC. They were heading toward, I'm like, what, how pervasive is this? How far is this going to go? And, and then all of a sudden, you have national news and local news and people interrupting and they're securing and people were legitimately afraid. What this time reminded me of is when I was a kid and I would hear like a great, great aunt or a great grandparent or grandfather talk about Pearl Harbor and what it did to them. I really just didn't understand it because I'm like, how did it make you afraid? You were in another part of the country. You weren't even in Hawaii. But all of a sudden I got it in that moment. I was not in New York, but I felt vulnerable. I felt hurt and I felt pain as an American for what was happening to our country. And, and again, I still didn't understand it, but there were situations that where I started to witness a split 
you know, I started to see the othering that we love to do in our American culture. As an African-American woman, I know what the othering feels like. So I became really concerned about what I was starting to see with the Islamophobic, some of which was even done on television by people we respect. And people felt they had a right because it was those people we said that, that had done this. We really hadn't discerned the difference between the actual culprits and like an entire culture and religious belief system. We just kind of dumped it all in and we started that othering process. And I became very uncomfortable then with patriotism because if it meant othering people in that way, and I, I just didn't want to be a part of that either. And with that, I have a question. 9-11 has had a long reach from then to very recently with us leaving Afghanistan. I'm still not sure how we got to that point and why it's lasted so long. So the one of the bizarre things about this war has been that uh, despite the fact that we live in this era of mass media, more media than ever, you know, everyone with a smartphone is a potential journalist, potential witness, right? And yet, this war has been prosecuted and carried out largely in the dark, which is, to me, I think that's like the main reason it, it has kept going. Um, the cost of what we were doing is just not something that Americans have ever really grappled with, right? Uh, because drone strikes, uh, which is primarily how we we carried out this war was really, you know, these autonomous drone strikes, but, you know, drone strikes on rural areas don't make headlines. They're not like big battles, right? It's not like Normandy. It's not like, uh, you know, the battle of Saigon for Vietnam, right? Whereas there's this big moment where the media can coalesce and cover it and paint a narrative and paint a picture. They just can't do that because every day it's just sort of this, you know, plotting, methodical, almost business-like, right? Like our war was like, it was, it was operated like an efficient business. We're just very efficiently carrying out drone strikes and we're hitting our targets. And that's how it was presented to us. You know, the, these men in suits would come on TV and we hit our target today. We killed five bad guys, end report. And that doesn't make for very interesting coverage. And I think it just kept going in the background for the people. It just kept plotting along. And we weren't seeing men coming back in caskets draped in American flags because so much of the war was carried out by robot. By like, you know, a lot of it was carried about, frankly, by guys more like, like me and you, Josh. Like almost gamer guys piloting drones. Like it's they recruit on gaming sites. It's wild. Um, and because the war was so far in the background, because the cost, we didn't see American bodies coming back by the thousands, which is what would have happened in any other war. And we didn't see the other side being carried out because we weren't just conquering cities and getting into huge standing fights. It just kept going. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, and to me, like, that's how it was able to last this long. It was, it, it was just so in in the background, so in the shadows on both sides. Uh, you said something interesting so that you were talking about the drone strikes and you know what really struck me is how comfortable we became with death reports. 
you know, <laughs> we became really comfortable with, as long as we called them bad guys, it was okay. So I, that really struck me at how at ease our patriotism allowed us to be with death. Uh, I looked it up once during the Obama years, and I think just during the Obama years, there was basically a drone strike every day and a half. Uh, which is crazy because you know I try to describe people these these drones are are huge like like a Reaper drone is like thirty feet long or thirty feet long it's like sixty feet sixty foot wingspan it's it's an airplane commercial drone you see like piloting around some little quad drone you see this is this is a huge thing like this was an instrument of war uh. And you're right. I mean, we became comfortable with just hearing that another five or six people were killed. We became comfortable with like, oh, we accidentally killed 10 people. I mean, we saw this, you know, I mentioned this in our response to Biden's speech. And he talked about our, well, we just executed a strike against, you know, with our over the horizon capabilities. But in that very strike that like we killed like 10 more innocent people and we just became comfortable with like, oh, we accidentally hit a wedding. We accidentally... We accidentally hit a house, and then we accidentally hit the funeral, mourning the people who we accidentally hit in the house. That's crazy. Like, we became comfortable with that sort of news cycle. What is this? So were we, the question is, were we always there, or is that something that's a product of 9-11, or were we that into uh, striking back at an enemy we thought hurt us, where we felt justified in hurting them back? Or is this American culture? Is this the America that some people hate? I can tell you that my experience with the war that's been going on there for, I feel like as long as I've been alive, is uh, weird to me because it's always been like, painted with multiple brushes. Like we went there at first because it was a war on terror, right? Like that was like the big thing to start with because like we won't tolerate terrorism and we're gonna like hit them back and like America was like, hoorah, we're doing this. And then eventually it became about like, I think oil or something. And then it became about like stabilizing the country. And then it became about like rooting out terrorist cells and then it became something else about the country. And like, it's, it feels like from someone who isn't like very kept up, like it's just been going on for multiple reasons that have yet to be like officially established. It's just been like, as you mentioned, like a thing going on in the background. And we know that as like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting on my like good boy American hat here, I, I assume it's not something I'm really like men mentioning or like taking real stock of because like we're at war. And so like in my mind, if we hit a wedding that happened to be like a casualty of war, I feel like most people who aren't necessarily knowing what's going on or choosing not to look into it don't really have a reason to question why the hitting of innocence is a problem. But this is also, in my good boy American hat, coming from the same person who doesn't necessarily have a problem seeing Black people murdered by the police. So, like, I, I feel like we as a nation 
like I, I didn't necessarily want to equate those two things, but um, I feel like we as a nation have a really bad time feeling empathy for groups of people dying if they've been labeled as other, because that's not us, right? Like that's not that's not my family. That's not the people who look like my family. It won't impact me directly. I don't really have a reason to lose sleep over it. Yeah, that's all. That's all correct. I don't know, Francine. Did you have any? I mean, I know you asked us the question, but so I mean, what is your what is your take on it? Um, I think that like a lot of people, we just really didn't pay daily attention to what was going on overseas because it was so far away from us. As long as they told us they were keeping us safe, that was enough. And with the occasional thwarting of this bomber or that bomber or these guys, that was enough to continue to to fuel that engine. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's what led us to this point. But now we realize that we had to make a change in places like Afghanistan because what we were doing wasn't really helping us the way we thought. And we needed to uh, change strategies. And I guess that's where we are. And I don't really know what that means long-term because the our enemy is now our friend <laughs> over there. And, uh, and I'm confused because I've been trained as an American to not like them. So I, I don't really know what to think, but hey, yep. I'm just going to roll with it <laughs> and see what happens. What else can I do? Um, I think that brings up a really interesting point, specifically regarding uh, being trained to hate them. Uh, because I think that the messaging that we've been given as Americans regarding all the things that have happened overseas in that entire Middle East area, not even just Afghanistan, has been incredibly, uh, it's it's been incredibly like muddled and, and mixed. Like no one really knows what to think because I think the actual goal has changed too many times for people to actively keep track of. Like unless you are a member of the military who's like actually making decisions over there, like you as a general American, have no idea what's going on other than what's being told to you. And what's being told to you, in my mind, is probably very different than what's actually happening over there. And the only people who really know what's happening are the people who have boots on the ground. So, like, I don't think we know what to think as Americans. And as things change, and now you said our, our enemy is our friend, like, everyone's like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> You, you, you've been telling me we've been carrying out drone strikes on these people for decades and now now we're just gonna like be buddy buddy like what's happening here I think you guys are both right and I, I think that actually does uh, sort of lead us into the you know what have we learned from 9-11 and uh, has it has it made us better so I don't know if either one of you want to take that one I, I do uh, <laughs> because I that this right here is what I what I came to this discussion to say to the masses. Um, I think that we, as a nation, have been like going from trauma response to trauma response in terms of like the things that have happened to us and the things that we continue to see uh, here in America. Let me explain what I mean. So, as someone who's lived here for. 29, almost 30 years of my life, um, I've noticed a fairly consistent pattern in how people handle things that feel uh, wrong, 
maybe things that feel usually when it comes to like loss of human life, uh, th there's a very consistent response in specifically Americans that I, I don't believe I've seen the same way from people who come from other nations or from people who are in other nations. Um, I, I've noticed that if, and I've mentioned this beforehand, if the person, the people, the whatever is different than you in some major way, it just doesn't impact you in the same way that it would someone who's in that community or someone who shares any sort of like bond with that person. And you, I think you see this most notably today still um, with the history of black people in the police. Like it, it's been a thing that's garnered more attention as of late because of the events of the protests and like what happened to George Floyd and how widespread that was. But I mean, if that, if, if that video didn't go viral, no one would even know that man's name. Like the, the, the point that I'm making here is when I, I feel like we as Americans do not actually, well, I don't know if I can say that. That's, that's not fair. I was going to say, we don't care about the loss of life, but I don't know if that's actually accurate. I think that we do a really good job of othering groups of people. And because of that, we have consistently not cared as much as we should about what happens to those groups of people. And we see it all the time, especially when it comes to the loss of human life, regardless of how that life differs from us as a whole. My response to that is to your question, Anthony, is um, short answer, no. I don't, I don't think that it's made us necessarily better people. Um, I think the trauma bonding based on othering that we experienced during that time created this false sense of unity that, you know, as long as we had the othering power, we were united. But once we started to uh, tear that down as we should, you know, to strike out against people who haven't done anything just because they remind us of the people who did do something, you know, is altogether just wrong. Um, I, I think that um, once we started to tear at that, we started to see that the unity that we thought we had wasn't as tight as we thought. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't based on something healthy. It's not, we bound together in that moment of pain, but I'm not sure we came together to heal together. And I think that's what remembering is supposed to do. We're supposed to come together each year to kind of take stock in the progress of healing that we've done individually and collectively and to encourage each other to continue on that journey. And I, I'm not sure if that's what really happens. I think we're reminded um, of the pain in such a way that it reminds us to continue to dislike or group other people, you know, or to separate ourselves from people. And that, that kind of falls into the, uh, the basic environment that we're living in right now with all of the divisiveness that we, we currently have as a nation, um, race, gender, politics, whatever. Uh, I wish that um, the moments where I saw people reaching up out of debris at the Pentagon to be rescued. I don't recall anybody checking the hand of anybody 
who reached in the saved in the sea if it matched their color. They just reached up and the people didn't check the hand to see if it matched their color. They just reached down and they helped each other. I, I wish that part had stayed with us. And it's unfortunate that I only personally see it when, uh, when there is some sort of trauma. You know, I wish that I could see it in our politics. I wish that I could see it among our legislators. I wish that I could see it across communities. I wish that we had more compassion uh, for each other and we understood what that huge national loss, whether you lost a loved one during 9-11 or not, to no loss and to no pain, to have compassion for people who've dealt with loss and pain, uh, whether it was like what you mentioned, Josh, with all of the uh, police profiling and killings and what have you. I'm surprised we're not more compassionate in those spaces. And, you know, I don't think we've become, I think I've seen pockets of growth, but as a, as a nation, I don't think that we've become the better people we imagine ourselves to be. A follow-up question for both of you then. Is the kind of unity you mentioned, uh, Francine, how possible is that without the othering that you both mentioned? I mean, a lot of times for countries, unity is centered around a threat. Is centered around us against something, and the one of the issues with America is everything is represented in our country. Where we really are an incredibly diverse place. I mean, we could look at our point cast group and just see like this is an incredible the, the diversity of people and you can have. What that means is that no matter who your country is against, it is represented in your own country. And this is simply not. This is actually is not true for a lot of other places it, you know they they can they can other purely external people and that makes it easier to do but we can't do that and so how do we get the unity you mentioned uh without the othering that typically comes with it i mean nationalism is a persistent and powerful force like throughout history right but we leverage it, it can be leveraged for good you know yeah. world war ii invasion of Normandy but even that which we remember in this sort of uh, very positive light was accompanied by uh, camps for Japanese people mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and that was yeah. basically where I was going to go you kind of right you, you took a little <laughs> bit of that thunder that's okay though I, I think that in order to achieve the unity that I'm talking about that this culture has to grow beyond its racist past in order to achieve the type of unity that I'm talking about. That's how we achieve that unity. And, and because we're not willing to be uncomfortable enough to address uh, what that means for us as a country, we most likely will not get there easily. But if we do and we unify around principles, around values, around belief systems that talk to the way we want to govern ourselves as a people, if we can unify around that, we can protect our diversity. We can protect the integrity of each individual, and then we can move forward as a country unified. But as long as there's an opportunity for uh, that flaw in our culture to be triggered as soon as someone strikes out against us, 
we're going to continue to fail at being a unified country and that's going to allow other countries to exploit those divisions i almost wish i had gone first because i'm i'm a debbie downer when it comes to this kind of stuff and i feel like francine's <laughs> message was very uplifting and it would have been great to end on that but um <laughs> i i personally don't believe that that kind of unity is possible in this current day specifically because i believe that nationalism is a plague on human society as a whole um like you said anthony it's it's actually very easy for other countries to do this because other countries are usually made up of like 70 percent the people that live there so you see this a lot especially in places that are very homogenous like japan like japan before it became westernized was very much against basically everything that wasn't Japanese. So othering has been like a very common thread among every society that has ever existed in human history. And the problem with America, as Anthony had mentioned, is the fact that we, whether we like it or not, are kind of a melting pot. A bunch of people from a bunch of different places and a bunch of different backgrounds live here. So when you have a problem with one group of people, that group of people is also here in America with you. And there's no way to avoid that. There is no way to get past that. And America doesn't know how to deal with that well. <laughs> so I I would like a an America, a, a version of America where, as Francine mentioned, people were reaching down to help anyone that looked like anything because they were people. And because this is, as we've been told, the land of the free. So like, I would, I would like to be able to help anyone regardless of their color. And I would like anyone to be able to help me, even though I may not look like them. But I know that the process of unifying people has always, always been around a threat. And the only thing that's going to bring the human race together is if we get attacked by aliens. That's the only thing that's ever going to bring us together as an actual race, because we will have something that is not our race to combat. But like, until then, as long as we're fighting amongst ourselves, we'll have reasons to hate each other. And there's no way around that until we change the way that we view people and humans as a whole because this is not new this is this has been around again since the beginning of a human society so i don't think it's going to change at any point during my lifetime but i do believe it's possible we just have to as you mentioned francine get uncomfortable we have to be more comfortable with having people around us that aren't us and have different views than us but we especially here in america have never wanted to do that you guys both hit the nail on the head there so with that, you know, we want to encourage our listeners to take some time and think about 9-11 for yourselves. Uh, there are so many facets to this discussion that it's impossible for us to cover them all here. And there are so many stories of triumph and pain, uh, and we can learn from all of them. 9-11 changed the trajectory of many lives and the United States. We're a different American now. So on the 20th year anniversary since the 9-11 attacks, we finally begun the process of closing the book on this chapter of our lives. And that's why it's sort of more important than ever that we take the time to reflect and learn. So uh, Francine and Josh, I want to thank you 
for, for co-hosting this. And to our audience, I want to thank you for joining us.